Hey y'all, and welcome back to the On Iowa podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Leah Van from the Gazette, and I guess if you don't know that by now, then you should probably go back and listen to the first two episodes. But I am closing out this three-part series on Black history in Iowa athletics with more of a look into the future. So what do we do to encourage more education on Black history? And also, how do we move forward in discussing race? So if you haven't listened to my first episode, I highly encourage that you do because Part of this discussion will recall some of what I've discussed with Neil Rosendahl on the history of Black pioneers in Iowa sports. So let me just go ahead and get right to it. Um, The first of two guests I interview on this episode is former Hawkeye wide receiver from the late 1980s, Quinn Early. Quinn is currently a stuntman in Hollywood who will talk more about his work in producing a documentary about Frank Kinney Holbrook who, as you know from the first episode, was the first ever black intercollegiate athlete at Iowa. So I'll go ahead and get right to it. Here is my interview with Quinn Early. So welcome to the On Iowa podcast. Quinn Early, um, will you introduce yourself to our readers, although they may know exactly who you are? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So my name is Quinn Early, and I am a graduate of the University of Iowa. Um, I was a two-sport athlete there at Iowa uh, from 1983 through the 1987 season. And then after that, uh, I got drafted. After I graduated, I got drafted by the San Diego Chargers. Uh, in the third round, and I played for 12 years in the NFL. And uh, my career has just been kind of an eclectic deal. Like I'm a stuntman in Hollywood. I've done a bunch of writing. And so I've kind of been all over the board. But um, it's just been a, a, an extremely amazing ride that I've had, you know, at the University of Iowa into my NFL career and all the stuff that I'm doing now. And uh, I'm just excited about some of these projects, which I know we're going to get into today. Yeah. And um, the reason I contacted you is because I am doing a Black History Month podcast. And Mm -hmm. from what I've heard, you are working on a documentary about Frank Kenny Holbrook, the first African-American athlete at the University of Iowa. So Mm -hmm. I wanted to first ask you um, why what makes this story so important to you and what made you decide to pursue a documentary? Yeah, so uh, I kind of pride myself on knowing a lot of the history of the athletes that attended Iowa, and then also just in sport in general. And what happened was I was contacted by, so I I work in Hollywood. Uh, I'm a stuntman actor. I do some things there. And I'm, I'm starting to transition into more of the writing and producing uh, aspect of the business. I was contacted by a producer who was um, doing a film about Niall Kinnick. And we talked, actually I reached out to them and we talked about it and perhaps me helping out with that project. So I started to do a little bit of research. And as I was doing some research, I came across this photograph and not knowing that it was from the University of Iowa, I looked 
and it was from 1895 and there was a, a, a black kid in the picture. And I was like, what? So I clicked on it and wouldn't you know it, it was from the University of Iowa in 1895, Frank Kenny Holbrook. And that just got me sparked. So I started, you know, looking up his history. I started, I, lo- I saw that Neil Rosendahl had done an article. So I contacted him instantly and we just, uh, talked extensively about the history, about who he was. And since then, I've, d- I've done a lot of research and I actually wrote a screenplay based on his life. But what I really wanted to do was I wanted to do a documentary just to bring light to this character. And, and, and even since I've been talking about it, and I've been talking about it with Neil, I've seen articles written and people are starting to take notice of Frank Kenny Holbrook, which is well-deserved because the guy was truly a pioneer. He was the very first. And it's amazing how many people had no idea who he was. So just to be able to bring, whether it's me or somebody else or whatever, just to be able to bring light uh, to who he was and his accomplishments and his contributions as a Black player, it's just a pretty extraordinary story. Right, certainly. And You know, I I found it striking that 1895, I mean, that's long before we knew a lot about like even a lot of sports weren't integrated. I mean, I'm from Texas. A lot of sports weren't even integrated until like the 1980s. I mean, that's what Friday Night Lights is all about. And so, um, you know, why is it, you know, it's so hard to find this story or why do you think you hadn't heard it before? I just think it was the times, you know, uh, that was such a long time ago. And there's not a lot that uh, has been archived or preserved with a story like that. You know, and I think that's the case with a lot of these stories that happened, you know, 100, 200 years ago. You have to really do some digging to find out about it, Uh, you know, you had mentioned Duke Slater, you know, people know who that was, who he was. Um, you know, some of the other black pioneers at the school, people know about them, but you know, that was in the third 1930s and forties and fifties and and things like that. So when you go all the way back to 1895, there's not that much material on these people. So I think it's really important for people to understand where the first black players, you know, where they came from, who they were, what their contributions were, um, so that's, that's really my main goal is just to bring some, some light to it. I imagine it's difficult to dig up this history, mm-hmm. um, especially when you're trying to do a documentary and maybe a lot of the historians, um, may not be around or the people who would know about them may not be around. So what's been the most difficult part about piecing together Frank Kenny Holbrook's story? Um, actually I've, I've had quite a bit of success. Um, I've met with a couple of people, you know, we've talked on the phone and there are quite a few people who actually uh, have a lot of information on him. I don't want to divulge some of that because I want to be able to bring that out in the documentary, right? right. I want it kind of a surprise. So I've been fortunate in that aspect. I think the hard thing to come across um, is more of the, you know, the, the pictures, photographs, you know, newspaper articles things of that nature. And I have been able to get some of that stuff. Um, but, but that, that has been, if there were, if there has been any challenges, it's been that. Yeah. Um, 
Where are you at in the documentary process right now? So right now, uh, really all I'm doing is I, I, I'm waiting for Iowa to thaw out. I know how cold it is. <laughs> it me, since living in California, my blood's thinned out a little bit. So I'm not trying to travel to Iowa until the spring. So, so you know, I'm, I'm kind of joking, but um, I think in the spring I'm going to come and I have my interview lineup which is a big part of it. So I'm going to interview those people. Uh, Neil is living out of state. I'm going to go visit with him. I'm going to sit down and interview him, plus the other people that I have. Some of my former teammates, I'm going to talk about uh, um, our history together. You know, it's interesting because uh, two of my best friends, uh, a gentleman named Robert Smith and Carrie Burt, they were my teammates when I was at Iowa. And one of the big things that we did, we came together and we talked about the importance of getting our degrees while at school, not just being athletes, but also getting our education. And we all graduated from there. And then what we did was we paid that forward to the younger players uh, to try to let them know that it's, it's really important, you know, not just to be an athlete, but also to get your education and to go on and do other things besides football, because not of all, not all of us are going to be able to play professional football. So I want to interview some of those guys and just talk about the history. Um, so there's a lot I have going on. So I, I actually did a trailer. If you go to uh, frankkennyholbrook.com, uh, you could read about uh, Frank Kenny Holbrook's history. And then also there's a, a a short trailer with regards to the documentary. So I think the main thing is doing the interviews. And then once those are completed, then I can paste together all of the other fun stuff and then make a, a quality documentary. So that's the plan. Um, so you mentioned you're a stuntman in Hollywood um, and then you um, have gotten into writing and now you're producing this documentary. Yes. I'm wondering how you, how, like, how does, how has that journey happened? Like, how did you get to be a Hollywood stuntman and how right. did you start dipping your toes into the whole writing thing? Right. So, uh, in 2011, one of my best friends from college, uh, Bill Perkins was my college teammate. Uh, he graduated, did extremely well in business. He worked on wall street. Uh, he's now a hedge fund manager. So he's done some, some pretty amazing things. Uh, in the business world, but his passion was filmmaking. So he became a producer and he called me one day and he says, hey, why don't you come be in my movie next weekend? And I was like, all right, I guess There's, I have nothing else going on. And next thing I know, I was hanging out the back of a truck shooting a machine gun <laughs> and then they paid me for it. And I was like, are you serious? I can do this for a living? You know, so I became friends with the stunt coordinator and he pretty much gave me the blueprint on how to actually become a stuntman for real. So I uh, put all my energy into that. And 10 years later, I've, you know, done a bunch. I've, I've uh, been fortunate enough to double Will Smith on a few projects, uh, Shamar Moore on the TV show SWAT. I've doubled Lawrence Fishburne. I actually just uh, got back from New Mexico. Uh, I was there for two months working on a Western, which was really wow. Exciting. So uh, doing a lot of that. So that's how I got into it. And then, um, you know, listen, I, I played for 12 years in the NFL. I'm not the youngest guy. So 
being a stuntman isn't really a long-term, you know, <laughs> thing for me at this point. So um, I started getting into the writing and producing and things like that. And actually how I got into the writing part of it was my mom wrote this amazing book about our family history. And then unfortunately she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and during her journey, she gave me her manuscript and asked me if I would have her book published. And that's this poster right behind me here. And actually here's her book. It's called Bryant Acres. Okay. It's about my great grandfather, uh, seven generations removed. And he was a free man of color during slavery. And he went on to become one of the wealthiest landowners in the South during slavery. So it's a pretty amazing story. So what I did was I actually wrote a screenplay. It wasn't very good when I first wrote it because I didn't know how to write a screenplay, but I learned how to do it. And uh, it's been, been an amazing process. And since then I've written five screenplays and I actually am pretty close to getting a movie deal for this particular project. So it really sparked my interest in writing. Um, I've done a short film, uh, which I produced. My son, who's actually also a stuntman, he was the director of the film. <clears throat> so trying to get those juices flowing and then gradually transition from stuntman into writing and producing. So that's, that's pretty much the history of that. Wow, that's so interesting. Um, and so touching that your mom was kind of the way you got into the whole writing thing. And yeah, um, um, I want to know... Why is it, why do you think now is the time to tell the Frank Kinney Holbrook story on the screen? Well, I think that I, I would have done it no matter what, but I think right now with everything that has been going on and the climate of things, I think it's important to tell um, stories about African-Americans who contributed to the building of this country that you know, these are stories that haven't been told. So I think that the Frank Kenny Holbrook story is an amazing story. And I think that that is one that people would be interested in. You know, his father was a runaway slave when he was 11 years old, right? And he mm -hmm. ran to the Union Army. And this Captain Dillon, who was from Iowa City, took him in. He was his valet. And then after the war was over, brought him back to Iowa City. That in itself is, is amazing. So for him to have a family and then to raise Frank Kenny Holbrook, who became a two-sport athlete at Iowa. It's just an amazing story, whether it's at Iowa or just in general, it's just an important story that I think needs to be told. So, and I'm, I'm excited that I have the opportunity to be the one to tell the story. Yeah. Um, were you surprised to learn that it was Iowa that kind of, um, that did have, like, I, I think as far as we know, the first collegiate athlete in mm -hmm. the state. Sure. Uh, I don't know if it's for sure nationally. No, I think that he was probably the third or fourth. I, mm -hmm. I, I have done some research and I found others. I can't think of them offhand, but he was, he was the first handful. Um, Iowa has always been pretty progressive in terms of things like that. I know that um, there's a town close to Tipton where he was from that they were Quakers mm -hmm. and Quakers, their belief was that all men were truly created equal. And just because of the color of someone's skin didn't really make a difference. Mm -hmm. So, and I think that spilled over into Tipton and that's why his family was 
so accepted there. And in fact, there was uh, some underground railroad activity going on there, which again, I'll talk about in the documentary. And I think the state of Iowa in general, you know, there was a, a, a town right around the same time called Buxton. Buxton, Iowa, if you look up the history, it was a coal mining town and the whole town was black. Doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. But, you know, things like that went on in Iowa and even before Frank Kenny Holbrook, there were students there that went on to great success, lawyers, doctors, things like that. So um, I think it's pretty amazing some of the things that went on in Iowa that the rest of the country wasn't accepting of at that mm -hmm. point. Yeah, certainly. Um, do you feel like your, um, your own race has like played a role in, you know, recognizing um, that this is a story that you can tell or um, do you feel like, um, you know, it's a story that anybody should be telling? Well, I, I think that, you know, I think that it would eventually come out again with Neil Rosendahl and mm -hmm. some of the other people that are talking about the story. And then people are starting to pick it up. I've read a few articles mm -hmm. since I started talking to Neil a couple of years ago about Frank Kenny Holbrook. So I just feel fortunate in the fact, and listen, somebody else might tell another story as well, right? About it. But I just feel fortunate in the fact that I get to put in my two cents, so to speak, and just, you know, and talk about this story because I think it's worth telling. Yeah, for sure. And um, what would be your like goal as to when you finish this documentary? So I started a foundation. Like I, I had mentioned to you that my mom had passed away from Alzheimer's. I started a foundation in her name. It's the Anne Early Intervention Foundation.org. And what I do is some of my short film projects mm -hmm. and documentaries like this one. And then also I did a film called Just Bake Cookies. I dropped these film projects into my foundation. And what I'm going to do is once these films are completed, then I will use them as vehicles to raise money for Alzheimer's. So for example, I'll take uh, the Frank Kenny Holbrook story and I'll travel around to different cities and we'll do like a red carpet event, right? With media and people will show up. Like it's a movie premiere, mm -hmm. even though you know it, it, it's just, a, it's a documentary. And then we'll raise money, we'll have auctions, you know, we'll raise money for Alzheimer's and then 100% of that money will go towards, you know, Alzheimer's research. So I'm doing that with some of my shorter film projects. And then also what I will do is I'll enter some of these projects into different film festivals and then hopefully win some kind of awards and things like that. So, mm -hmm. so the idea is to uh, do these things. And then what I also want to do is I also want to do a docu-series on some of the great Black pioneers in sports, not just football, but in sports in general. And this will just be the first of a series of documentaries that I want to do. And what did you study at Iowa? I was actually an artist. Um, I studied commercial art. Uh, I got my BA in that. And uh, obviously, I didn't do anything with it. I <laughs> <laughs> right. Because I play football and I'm doing all this running around and stunts and things like that. Um, you know, but but I, I got my and I don't listen. I wasn't the sharpest <laughs> tool in the 
toolbox, you know, but I, I worked hard and I applied myself and I got my degree. And, uh, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll pass by my degree and I'll look at it and I'll be like, how that happened? You know, but <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm, I'm partially joking, but I, I just worked extremely hard and, um, I'm very proud of it. I'm very proud of the fact that I graduated from college. Well, and I'm sure art gave you the creative mind you needed to go into things like filming and stuff, even like, I guess, I don't know if you studied a little bit of photography, but even framing a camera and everything is an art. Yeah, no, absolutely. absolutely. Everything that I've done in the past has is, is gotten me to where I am right now. I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful for it. Super cool. Um, those are all the questions I have. Thank you for coming on this podcast. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And if anybody wants to um, just uh, donate to my foundation, again, it's yes. anearlyintervention.org. Mm -hmm. Or if anyone, you can go onto the website and if anybody is interested in getting involved with uh, some of my film projects, especially this Frank Kenny Holbrook project, then just contact me. We can talk about it and, and, and see where it's at. You know, all, like I said, all of it goes towards Alzheimer's and Alzheimer's research. So it's just very important. Again, if you want to donate to Quinn's Foundation, which funds research on Alzheimer's and dementia, that is anearlyintervention.org. Alrighty. So my next interview for this podcast was with Broderick Bins, who I profiled in the Gazette on February 21st. That story is still online. So if you want more of an idea of who Broderick Bins is, what his background is, what his role is at Iowa, I encourage you to read that before you listen to this podcast. It's not that long. Um, but in short, if you want just a brief introduction on who Broderick Bins is, he is the Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Iowa within the Athletics Department. So I thought I would talk to him to really wrap up our conversations by asking him how we use this information on Black history to push the needle forward in creating a more inclusive environment within Iowa athletics. So without further ado, here is my interview with Broderick Benz. Iowa football specifically does have some pretty like historic um, black athletes like Frank Kinney Holbrook, and then there's Duke Slater. Um, I think there's a guy named Archie. Um, and a lot of them were kind of like the first to really break down barriers in the sport. And especially at the college football level, I mean, 1895 is pretty early to be thinking about having a black college athlete on campus. Um, so I wanted to know, like, did you know this history when you came on campus? And, um, you know, are you trying to highlight this for the athletes? Like, what are, um, yeah, I just kind of wanted to know if, this is stuff that you think should be more um, to be more published and more out there. Yeah. Um, so perfect example. Uh, I had, I stayed in Hillcrest on campus, right? Um, that's where all the athletes stayed, at least the football athletes stayed. Across the street, the dorm is, was Slater. Okay. And so I didn't find out that Slater dorm was named after Duke Slater until I came back in 2014, 2015 here, right? So my time as a player 
five years in the program, I just thought Slater doing was just Slater. That's Slater. I don't know why they named it Slater, but that's Slater. They never put two and two together, or it was never brought up in any of our meetings that, yo, um, Slater Dorm is named after Duke Slater. This is, who, this is his, who Duke Slater was. This is what he means to our program, right? Um, so I think for me in this job, especially this month, I don't know if you've been seeing, but we've been trying to highlight some of our firsts within Iowa athletics. Um, and so um, be on the lookout. Our, our plan is to do something with uh, Rita Buck Crockett. Um, she was actually our first volleyball, black volleyball coach here. And I know Vicki Brown, she's doing an awesome job, but Rita Buck Crockett was the first one. And I, and I read her bio. She was a phenomenal volleyball player. Um, and now I think she's coaching at Florida, or FIU um, in Florida. Um, we did uh, a piece on Simon Roberts, uh, being from uh, Iowa, uh, Iowa, not Iowa City, being from Iowa, but coming to the University of Iowa as one of our first black wrestlers. Uh, we did Robert Pearl, one of the first black uh, baseball players here. Um, so again, this is information that I did not know about when I was a player. And so I think it's important for me, uh, yes, this month, Black History Month, but in every month, let's highlight some of our minority student athletes who are the first to come here and do it and show what that means to our student athletes. Yeah, for sure. I think it's interesting. Were you surprised when you were first learned going through this history and stuff, were you surprised that Iowa was kind of the place that was, you know, breaking down these barriers historically? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting that, that um, again, as you said, Iowa was a place like, you know, place I call home was like one of the pioneers in you know, breaking down barriers. Um, but sometimes, and, and I hope this is not too controversial at all, but sometimes I think, uh, the state of Iowa, uh, the University of Iowa, I think we hang our hat on that, right? Like, yeah, like we did that and we checked the box, right? But what else have we been doing to push the needle forward now? You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. uh, and I don't want to dismiss all the work that's been going on. Like, I understand, you know, I'm a part of a lot of on-campus diversity groups and that's great. In athletics, I know we've been trying to do some things. We're trying to create a welcoming environment, but I think sometimes we hang our hats on being the pioneers of it, but yet and still you have people of color on campus within athletics who are still hurting. So it's like, yeah, that was great. Cool. Like, fantastic. But what else can we do now to continue to push the needle forward to make our environment, our community more inclusive? Right. I know that there were, you know, obviously I received a lot of like bad press last summer for what happened with Chris Doyle. And, um, you know, what do you learn from that experience? And also at, in your position, like how was, how was going through that for you? If you can reveal it all, like, you know, how is moving forward? How is this helping you? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, one thing and, and, um, Right after the event happened, um, I, I kind of had to take some time to myself. And there's a lot of people who want to interview me. Brad, from your perspective, being a black student athlete, you know, on the football team, did you see anything? Were you treated wrong? And I kind of had to take some some time to myself to kind of like uh, divulge what was all going on. Um, the first thing that I, I'll say is um, I'll never devalue any anything that my teammates say again. I can't tell them how they felt or how they should feel. Um, if that's truly how they felt and that's a story that they remember in their mind, I mean, more power to you. I think that's fantastic. One thing that I told myself is that I do not ever want 
the University of Iowa to be um, to go through that for any other team moving forward, right? So it's my mission, it's my my cause to make sure that we create again, and I keep saying this, but a more of an inclusive environment. I think a lot of what we heard was there were a lot of double standards to where some of the black players felt like they were getting treated differently than their teammates. Um, and so how can we change rules and policies within each team, within each building to ensure that everyone's being treated, have the same equal footing to, to succeed and graduate and play good, whether it's football, basketball, whether it's tennis, whether it's golf, just to be their best self. How can we do that? Um, and so that's what I've been trying. I've been trying to create and trying to foster, but it all came from what stemmed from football. Like what happened? Like I don't. We we cannot take another lashing like that or go through that again, right? So how can I, in my job empower our student athletes to share their feelings, to tell us some of these stories, and so we can try and fix it and be better? Um, I think like a lot of people have said, you know, we can't just put the education piece on the backs of black people, right? We can't like just rely on them for all of our education. So um, what would be kind of your advice to people who are looking to be good allies, um, you know, moving forward who may not be black, like I'm a white woman. So like, what would be your advice to me? Of course, um, first thing is um, to be a good ally. I totally believe like if you, if you like the word ally means like, you have to do something, right? So to me, the days of being silent um, does nothing for anybody. It does nothing for you if you wanna be an ally, it does nothing for me as being a person in the marginalized group, right? Uh, so uh, if you see something, like you have to say something, right? In this area. And so I think, um, you know, we're all well-intended people. Like, like we all, I think are, are coming from a framework to where like we all have different backgrounds, but I think we all mean well. Like I, I truly don't think, you know, I know there are bad people out there, but I think majority of people who I run across, they just don't know, right? So you talk about educating themselves, uh, but we all have these examples where we have the opportunity to speak up. And a lot of times it doesn't happen, right? And so I think for you as being a Caucasian woman, if you see something, I think you have to say something, right? Mm -hmm. um, second thing, I think is super important to educate yourself, right? So you do the research and ultimately uh, don't, don't have a black person <laughs> do the work for you, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I kind of laugh because yes, I'm a black male and it's my job, like literally my job responsibility is to educate our staff and student athletes on these sensitive topics. So yes, I take take on the brunt of educating my peers about these topics. Uh, but I, I say like for for being allies, again, like you just have to do the work yourself. You, you, you have to look up your biases. You have to know what your privileges are and, and, and ultimately realize that you do have privilege. And that's not to say that you haven't worked hard to get to where you are. Like that's not what we're saying. A lot of people work hard, but just because of the color of your skin, that kind of sets you a tad bit higher, a few levels higher than someone who has a darker complexion, someone who's a person of color, right? And so I think if you can acknowledge that and if you can um, kind of check your biases and understand what they are, um, I think it would be that much more easier to speak up when you do see wrong going. You mentioned that you grew up going to a high school that 
was predominantly white and everything. And I was just wondering if you ever had your own experience with um, like discrimination at all that you'd care to share um, to inform our readers. Yeah, so um, I guess I, I, I've never experienced, um, I don't wanna say discrimination. Um, I, okay, so perfect. All right, so I, I just gave a talk uh, about microaggressions, right? And so um, I think, again, a lot of people, uh, you know, microaggressions, buzzword, you got unconscious bias is another buzzword, right? Diversity, equity, inclusion, like these are all buzzwords, right? But uh, microaggressions, like they are like small little comments, right? The deans um, on a person's character um, that ultimately I think can do some real damage, right? So an example that like I can bring up, I have a few, but um, when I was in high school, um, I had hair, right? I had an Afro, right? And so um, some of my classmates um, asked if they could touch my hair. Right, because they never experienced what a you know a, a um, cotton-like texture would be, right? And so, okay, no doubt, like no problem doing it. Sure. Then it kind of stepped over the line when some of my classmates asked if they could stick pens and pencils in my hair to see if it would stick in there, right? And that kind of became like the joke, right? And so for me, like it's one thing to touch my hair, but like I'm not a dog. Right. I'm not a cat. Like you don't pet me. Right. But then to take it another step above is to stick pins and pencils in my hair. And it's funny if it can stick in there and it's not right. This is my hair. Like This is what I I live with. I look at myself in the mirror every day. Right. So something that happened in high school. I'm not at all saying that my classmates are wrong. They're bad. They didn't know. Right. We we were 14 years old. Right. But as I think back on this journey, that's one thing that sticks out in my mind. Another incident that happened in college, actually, um, I like to think of myself as a uh, as a decent writer, right? So, like, if you tell me to write a ten page paper, I, I would rather do that over taking the test, right? Like, I, I just let me write, let me get my thoughts down on paper, like, you know, give me two weeks to do it, and I'll knock it out of the park. Um, and I was in rhetoric class, and I got a, a A on this paper, and um, my my teacher, my TA professor. Um, looks at me, give, give, gives me my paper back, looks at me and goes, uh, all right, like, you, you wrote this? Yeah, like, good job. Like, like you did a real good job. Like, great. Um, and, you know, at the time, the way that I took it was like, uh, because I'm a, an athlete, right, because, you know, jocks, not smart. But then on top of that, I'm a black athlete. Like, you are telling me good job but I don't think you're really giving me a compliment. I think you're like really surprised that I could produce this type of work. Um, and it goes back to the whole thing, like, oh, like, like you're so articulate, like, you know, like, like you're smart for a woman. I was like, well, I, yeah, like I know I'm smart. Yeah, like, no, yeah. I, I like to write. Like, I know I can do it. And so um, just some of those examples as I go through this work in my life, trying try to dig up some things that I can be vulnerable and, and give those examples to some students and, or, or the audience that kind of makes sense. But um, those little microaggressions, again, like it, it can really do some psychological damage. And um, my hope is just to bring more awareness to our staff, to our student athletes. Um, again, we're all well-intended. Um, so I'm, I'm not saying people are, are doing this on purpose, but 
Um, hopefully you now know kind of what examples of a microaggression and, and, and it could be a various amount of topics, not just, you know, black and white, not just you smart or not. Um, you know, it's be a, a lot of different things that people can say, but, um, point is to bring awareness and, and hopefully people can, uh, can be more aware of, of what they say and what they do. Thanks to both Quinn and Broderick for coming on the podcast and sharing their work with us. Again, if y'all have any topics you think are worth looking into as we slowly await the return of football season, you can message me on Twitter at lvan underscore sports or email me at leah.van at thegazette.com. I definitely want to touch on topics that are important to our readers, but also help me learn more about Iowa football or Iowa athletics in general. So um, let me know what you think. Also, be nice. (laughs) And that's it for today, y'all. Have a good one.